0: And so you have this, these beautiful cards with this picture of Mary and Joseph and the baby and the shepherds. And, but where's everybody else? I mean, where are the religious leaders? Bethlehem is very close in proximity to Jerusalem, just a short distance away. So where are the Pharisees? Where are the high priests? Where are the religious leaders? Why were, why were they not at the stable? And where's the innkeeper? Why wasn't he there? And no one from Nazareth was with Mary. She was by herself and she grew up in Nazareth and she had family and friends in Nazareth. So where were they? Where was King Herod? And why wasn't anyone from Bethlehem or Jerusalem there? So when you have the manger scene on that card, you, you just have those few people there on the most amazing event, and witnessing the most amazing event in human history. And you have only these people, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, who were there that night. And other people could have been there, but only Mary and Joseph and the shepherds witnessed this tremendous event. And so it is amazing that so many people missed the first Christmas. But they have their counterparts today. You know, we have a lot of people today, they have trees in their home, they give presents, they get presents, they go to parties, they have family gatherings, they eat a big dinner, uh, they go to church for worship services, they give lip service to Jesus. But they're going to miss Christmas too because they don't know the Christ of Christmas and they have no idea what Christmas is is really all about. And so not only did the people did people miss the first Christmas there are multitudes of people today who are going to miss Christmas. Now they're going to celebrate their version or their understanding of Christmas but they miss the whole point of it and they don't get it and they don't know if you don't know the Christ of Christmas you can't celebrate Christmas. That's why we live in a world that wants to secularize Christmas, wants to take Christ out of Christmas. They'll want to wish you happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And they'll have all these secular images and these secular-based celebrations of Christmas, but they'll leave Christ. How do you leave Christ out of Christmas? I mean, how do you do that? And so a lot of people today will miss Christmas just like people in ancient times. I we'll talk about just a few of them uh, real quick. Well, semi real quick. For, first of all, the innkeeper. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that there was an innkeeper. Okay. We get a lot of our theological understanding about the first Christmas from Christmas cards. For instance, we, we say there were three wise men. Well, we're not told if there were three wise men. We know there were three gifts. There probably were many wise men who came and, uh, you know, to, to Christ. Um, and we're not actually... Nowhere in the Bible is it said that Jesus was born in a stable. There's no mention of a stable. There's no mention of, you know, the animals in the stable. There's no mention of hay in the stable. Why do we assume that He was born in a stable? The manger. The manger is mentioned, which is an animal food box... Now, in that day, the most likely place you're going to find an animal food box is in a stable. And so, you know, we we get a lot of our assumptions from our Christmas cards about, you know, what the first Christmas was like. Well, the Bible doesn't specifically mention an innkeeper, but because the Bible does specifically state there was no room for them in the inn, we assume, right... That there was an innkeeper or more than one that said, we have no room for you. Now, just a little bit about the innkeepers in that day or ancient inns in that day. When you think about an inn today, you think about the Holiday Inn or the, you know, motel and you go there and you got a nice, you know, warm room and you got, you know, you got you got a bed and you got all of that and you got a room, a secluded room and And all of that. So, when you think about an inn today, you think about those motel places we've all been in. That was nothing like ancient inns in Bethlehem in Israel in that day. The word, the literal word, translation of the word is Khan, K H A N, as we would transliterate it into English. And what it was, ancient inns like this were simply enclosed, open air places that would have some kind of wall, some kind of protection. And people would stay in this this open air area, this open area, and you would have one corner you could put your animals, and the innkeeper would provide hay for the animals and a stall for the animals. They made sure they took care of the animals because the animals were important. So he would have a place for the animals, and then those who were staying in the inn would camp out in the open place. So it was kind of like a, it was a, it was a protected area in which you could keep your animals, but everybody stayed together. Now, here's my theory. You know, having a baby should not be a spectator sport. Right? Now, I know today, you know, the dads and all of that, they go back there, the baby's born, and they're eyewitnessing all of this. Now, when my children were born, I did it the way God intended. I was in the waiting room, and I waited till the doctor came and told me, hey, you got a kid. That's how God intended for babies to be born. And so, and so you have Mary. She is great with child. And so it was actually, I think, an act of grace and providence that there was no room for them in the end. Because this little girl... This 16-ish-year-old year old 16 girl didn't want to have a baby in front of everybody. I mean, who would want to do that? And so when we're, we're told that there is no room for them in the inn, often we want to get on to the innkeeper. We say, how cruel that was that he didn't even make room for them. Well, my theory is, and when we get to heaven, we either confirm this or you know, find out otherwise, that the innkeeper said, you know, and I, I make him more benevolent than a lot of people make him. By the way, Jesus was not homeless. You know, People use the Christmas story for political ends, and they'll always talk about it at Christmas time. Even Jesus was homeless and all of that. No, he, they were roomless. They were not homeless. They had a home in Nazareth, but they were roomless. I remember uh, Miss Avers and I went to, um, down to Panama City Uh, a year or so ago, a little over a year or so ago, and and there was a hurricane coming and all of that, and our son was sick in the hospital. And so we kind of just got the word spur of the moment. We went down to Panama City. Well, it was a holiday weekend. I forgot what holiday it was. And there was a hurricane coming, and everybody from the uh, the, uh, east coast of Florida went to the west coast, and every room in Panama City was filled. We searched for like two hours for a room. And finally... Uh, we went to one hotel and I got I, a motel. I get, they didn't have any room, and I told them the story. And and these 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 two kids, they were just kind of like college kids, I guess, who were working there. They said, "We're gonna take care of you." I guess I had it like a poor. I tried to look poor, you know. And I tried to project, "Please help." And so they got on the phone and they did find us a room. And we, you know, we were blessed. But Mary and Joseph were not homeless; they were roomless. Here's what I believe. The innkeeper, when he saw this, you know, this young girl who was great with child in Joseph, he knew he didn't have room in the con, and he knew the con was not a place for this young girl who was obviously about to give birth to this child. And I also probably think Miss innkeeper was standing behind him And when he said, uh, we have no room, she probably tugged on his robe. Honey, honey, let's put them in the stable. There they can be secluded. They can be away from everybody. We'll give them fresh hay. They'll be by themselves. It'll be warmer. And there this, this child can have her child. And so, you know, now I'm reading between the lines, and that may not be anything close to what happened, but that's, that's my surmise, that the innkeeper actually probably was more benevolent than we give him credit for, and they made room in the stable for Mary and Joseph. And probably Mrs. Innkeeper made sure that there was fresh hay in there and tried to, you know, it's a stable. You know, it's got animals and whatever. And probably, you know, tried to clean up a little bit, make a spot for this young girl and her husband as she was about to give birth to a child. But there is no mention of an innkeeper coming to see the baby. So why didn't he? I mean, you know, and where's Miss Innkeeper? And... Why didn't she call a midwife? And why why didn't she call on people to come and help? This is a 16 year old girl who is great with child, who has either walked for 75 miles or rode a donkey as we often depict her, depict she doing from from Galilee. (laughs) She's in distress, about to give birth. Why didn't they try to summon up help? Well, I think probably what happened was the innkeeper got busy. And Mrs. Innkeeper got busy. It was census time. The con was full. People were everywhere. It was the opportunity to make money and to get all the money you can get. And so probably they got busy and they got involved. And they just kind of forgot about the couple. And I think people miss Christmas these days just we live in a busy world we have all these time saving appliances and apparatuses and they don't save they, they may save us time but we fill the time we save with stuff you know um, we live in a busy world and being busy is not a sin unless you're busy in something that's sinful but you know sometimes life is just too busy and I think, I think people miss Christmas because of just the busyness of life, the hurriedness of life, the, the, the going of life, the involvement of life. And they get so involved that they don't have time for God and, and I don't know. Don't you think we're too busy? I think we are sometimes. We're just, you know. The Bible talks about the still waters. Sometimes we need to go to the still waters. So I think people miss Christmas just by busyness, just by being so busy and so involved and so preoccupied, um, and they don't know Christ, and they may give lip service to Jesus during Christmas time and, and do everything they can to fit Christmas into their busy schedules, but they really miss Christmas because they miss the true meaning of Christmas. Now the reason I, re- I read Luke 2:7 is this: I, You know, when you read a verse sometimes, you really need, just need to kind of stop and study on it. Okay, when you read the Bible, every now and then just stop and study on that verse. Uh, I read the Bible through in a year. Uh, it's probably going to take me a year and a half this year because I kind of, kind of took you know, study times on different things. But also there's, there's times when you need to stop and meditate. Listen to Luke 2.7. And listen to how Luke is a... Luke is a very learned man. He's a physician. He's well-trained. He is one of the great historians of world history, ancient world history. Not just because he's a Bible writer, but because of his kind. he wrote Luke and Acts. And he just, he's a tremendous historian, accurate historian. And I can tell you from the study of the original languages, I'm not a scholar or anything like that, but I can tell you that Luke's The the Koine Greek that he used, the original writing that he used was very precise. He had studied on what he was going to say. He concentrated on what he was going to say. And he used that original language to give you the nuance. If you pay attention, gives you the nuance of understanding. Listen to how he worded this. And she, emphasis, she brought forth her firstborn son. And then you take the she, and you use the next phrase, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Then you take the she, which is the emphasis of the verse, and you lay it in the next phrase, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. The she is the subject. All the other phrases are related to she. And so you take the word she, she brought forth her firstborn son. She did it by herself. There was no midwife. There was no help. There was no doctor. No attendants. The 16-year-old girl did it by herself. And old Joseph was there, but what does a carpenter know about birth and babies? You know? And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She had that baby. And Joseph, he helped best he could. And he handed that baby to her. And then she loved him, and she rubbed him, and she washed him, and she cleansed him. Then she took those swaddling clothes to war- wrap him for warmth and, and uh, for, for security. And she wrapped him in those swaddling clothes. And then she laid him in a manger. Right? You know how, you more, you know how mamas do the newborn babies right beside them? That, that manger was right beside where she was laid. She took him and She laid him in the manger. G. Campbell Morgan was a great preacher of the past generation and I love what he wrote about this. He said, think of the pathos of this. She brought forth. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. It's very beautiful, but oh the pity of it. The tragedy of it. The loneliness of it. That in all of the hour of all hours When womanhood should be surrounded by the tenderest care, she was all alone. The method of the writer is very distinct. She, with her own hands, wrapped the baby around with those swaddling clothes. And she laid him in a manger. And there was no one else to do it for her. Again, I say the pity of it and yet the glory of it to the heart of Mary. And so I, I think, you know, a lot of people miss Christmas because they're busy. So we, need to, we, need to, we need to slow down. No? Just, me and Miss Iris, you know, we'll, we'll have our day planned. Have you, this is happening. You have your day planned, and then all of a sudden this call comes, and this call comes, and this thing comes, and this thing happens. And all of a sudden this day gets, you know, it kind of like a sponge. It grows with all this stuff you got to do. Now, we expect that. We've been in the ministry long enough to know that the best laid plans aren't going to happen. <laughs> they're just not. And so you got that. But that's what God called, you know, called us to do. But there are times when we just need to just cool it and sit and, and just you know breathe and enjoy life. So a lot of people miss Christmas, I think, because they're busy. And then Herod. Someone else who missed the first Christmas was old King Herod. Now, Herod was a ruthless man. He was a brutal man. If you want to know about Herod, you can go to like a uh, historian, Jewish historians like Alfred Edersheim. He was a, ancient, or, or a, a, a historian of uh, a saved converted Jew who, who uh, studied ancient times and the times of Jesus. He wrote a great book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And, and he'll give you a detailed story of Herod. He was, just a, he was a maniac. He was a murdering maniac. He killed his favorite wife. He had several. But he killed her because he didn't like the way she looked one day. Killed a couple of sons because he thought they were a threat to his throne. And here's what Herod did. Herod gave these orders. He knew the Jewish people hated him. He tried to buy their favor by building them a temple, Herod's temple, which was under construction when Jesus was born. Uh, It had been under construction for a long time. And so he was trying to buy favor by building a temple. But he he just couldn't help himself. He was just evil to the core, and he did all this bad stuff, evil stuff, and the Jewish people hated him. And so here's what Herod... (laughs) Herod gave these orders. He knew the Jewish people hated him. And he knew when he died, instead of mourning, there would be celebration. So Herod gave these orders. At the time of his death, he ordered his Roman guards to go through the city and kill as as many important Jewish people through Jerusalem as they could find so that when he died, there would be mourning instead of celebration. That's how ruthless he was. Now these wise men come. And we're going to study about the wise men. They are fascinating. Oh, my word. so fascinating. But these wise men come and, and they come from Persia and they go to Jerusalem and they say, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Well, Herod is not a Jew. Herod is an Ejumean. He is of Jewish descent, but he's not a full fledged Jew. Herod has been appointed by king, uh, appointed to be king over Israel by the Romans. And he knew anybody born with a legitimate claim to the, being a king of Israel would be a threat to his throne. And so, you know, he inquired of the wise men when they first saw the star and he made the calculations and he called in the religious experts and he found out, you know, made uh, some calculations and they told him, well, Jesus would, you know, the Messiah would be born at Bethlehem and he sent the wise men to Bethlehem and it was his intention then to go in and, you know, kill the children. Kill everybody there in hopes of killing this one who was born king of the Jews. But, you know, Herod's like a lot of people today. They will give lip service to Jesus. They will follow Jesus on their own terms. They are perfectly willing to call on Jesus when they need Him, to receive Jesus as their spiritual benefactor. They're willing to add Jesus to their life. They're willing to call Jesus or, or call themselves Christian, but they are not willing for one moment to acknowledge that Jesus is the rightful King and Lord of their life. They will allow no one, including Jesus, to interfere with their plans, their career, their position, their power, their ambition their plans or their lifestyle, they're not going to let anybody rule over their life. They'll accept Jesus for what He will do for them, but they refuse to bow before Him and honor Him as the Lord and King and ruler and master of their life. There are a lot of people like that. They call themselves Christians, but they don't, they don't serve the Lord. They're not submitted to Jesus. They've just kind of added Jesus. They refuse to surrender control of their life to King Jesus. Listen, Jesus is not only Savior, but He is Lord. And there's not two separate Jesuses where you have the option of taking Jesus A, who is Savior, but denying Jesus B, who is Lord. Jesus is not a buffet line where you go down and say, well, I'll take a little of this, and I'll take a little of that, and I'll take a little of this. No, Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And for you to know Him as Savior, you must be willing to surrender to Him as the Lord of your life. And so there are a lot of people today, just like Herod, they call themselves Christians and they'll go to church and they will willingly will receive Jesus for what they think Jesus can do for them, but they won't kneel before Him and they will not submit to Him and they will not surrender their life to His Lordship, not for one minute. And if you're not willing to follow Jesus and surrender control of your life to Him, then you're going to miss Christmas. Because the Savior was born. And what did the angel say? The Savior is born this day who is Christ the Lord. He's the Lord of all. When I gave my life to Christ, I didn't understand nothing. You know, I grew up in church. And I didn't know nothing. I didn't know nothing. You know, a lot of people get saved. They don't know nothing. Right? I mean, we don't know nothing. We know two things. We are sinners, and He's the Savior. You know? We are sinners, and He's the Savior. And when I got saved, I came to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm lost, and I know I'm lost, and I don't want to be lost. And I I believe in my heart that You died on the cross for my sins, and I want to give You my life. And I want You to save me and change me. And I don't understand everything I, I know that there is to know, but Lord, I do know this. I'm surrendering. I'm giving You my life. And I did, and I received him. And I haven't always been the Christian I ought to be, and I hadn't always been as submissive to his control as I should have been. But see, that's all right. If you make that commitment, the Lord will receive you, and then He'll go to work in your life. You know, He who began a good work in us will continue it until that day that we go home to be with Him. And He will He. I don't know if you know this about God, but He's relentless. He is relentless. He will save you. He'll give you a new life. And if you think He's just going to stand back and like a spectator in a football game, just kind of watch you struggle through life, you got another thing coming, buddy. He'll save you and then He'll start working in your life. And he'll, he'll, he'll start molding you and shaping you. And sometimes He'll bless you with good things. And sometimes He'll stick you in the fire. Sometimes He'll put you on the mountaintop. Sometimes He'll put you in the valley. But He is going to do whatever He has to do to mold you and shape you into being the person that He's called you to be. God is not a hands-off God. He was a very much involved God in our life, molding us and making us into who He would have us to be. And that begins when you give your life to Christ. I'm so glad I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm a Christian. Here's the third group, and I'm hurrying. Did I promise you I was going to hurry? I, did, I, I promised you I was going to hurry, didn't I? It's 6.50. Okay, so I'm going to be done in like, you know, an hour and a half. The religious people, the religious leaders, I mean, where were they? They could tell Herod exactly where the baby was born. You know, they knew Micah, the prophecy of Micah. They knew exactly they could they could tell Herod where the baby was 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 where the the Messiah was supposed to be born. And these these wise men had told him about the star. We've seen the star, and we've come from afar because of the star. Sound like a rap, doesn't it? And and so. You know, and 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 so the wise the wise men could tell them where to go. And the the, the I mean the, the the religious leaders could tell the wise men where to go and they went, but where was the religious leaders? They didn't go. They knew all the answers, they knew the Bible, but it didn't mean anything to them. Christless religion is a dangerous thing. You know, the people who are most lost in the world are those who are religious but lost. Those people who sit in the pews and can give you facts and particulars about Christmas and about the Christian religion, you know, but they don't know Jesus. Lost church members, Christless religion... Those people who are most far away from the kingdom of God are those who are religious but lost because they think they're right and you can't convince them that they're not right. Why? I go to church. Why? I give. Why? You know, my name's on the... I've been a member of that church for 40 years and and they've got all of this stuff that they can, can tell you, but they don't know Jesus. They have a Church entity and a relationship with a church, but they've never bowed to Christ to receive Him as Savior and Lord. And they'll go through all of the things that we do at Christmas. And they're lost. And these religious leaders, they knew the scripture and they knew where to go, but they didn't go themselves. And so they missed Christmas. And there are others, the inhabitants of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Remember what the shepherds did? The Bible says they went and told everybody. Well, where were those people? Nobody went to the stable. Where were those people? Why didn't they go? Indifference, pride, unbelief. And probably the inhabitants of Bethlehem and Jerusalem thought the shepherds were crazy and ignorant. You know? Just like today. See, here's where we are in America. Just like today, if you believe in Jesus... If you believe in the Christmas story, that it's not a myth, it's a real story. If you believe in Jesus and the Christmas story, and if you believe in the Bible, there is a majority of people in the American society today who will say that you are ignorant and crazy. Where at one time, (laughs) at one time, that was what American people believe, we have now reached the point in American society where if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you believe the Christmas story and you believe the gospel and you believe the Bible's the Word of God and you do your best to, to live by it and to share it with others, then you are considered ignorant and crazy by multitudes in American society today. And that's where we are. Welcome to the new day in America. And so there's tremendous pressure today. You wouldn't believe. Even in, even where we live, there is pressure to say, don't preach that. You're going to upset people. You know, you know kind of tone that down a little bit. I mean, don't, don't preach that. Don't teach that. You know, that's going to hurt people's feelings. Or... That, that that's not what everybody believes. And if you do that, you know, they're, they're, people are not going to be drawn to that kind of thing. Let's tone it down. Let's become a little more politically correct. And, and, and stay away from those, those subjects, you know, like this, that, or the other. Just because that's too controversial. And if you preach on that, it's going to make people mad. And they're not going to come or they're going to leave or, and all that kind of thing. And let's just stay in the safe ground, you know. Let us have let's have sermonettes for Christianettes about how the sky is blue and God made it that way. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> oh the clouds are oh and the God made the flowers. Let's all smell the flowers. But don't preach the Bible. Don't really, don't really communicate what the Ten Commandments meant then and now. Don't really get into those areas that are so controversial now. Let's stay on the safe ground. I want to tell you, Christianity is not a safe religion. It never has been. And it never will be. There are more Christians martyred in the last century than in all other previous Christian centuries combined. And it's only going to get worse. And now in God-blessed America, Christians are being sued and hated and rejected and and people will shop for churches that won't hurt their feelings and will stay in the safe areas and where they can go and even though they are as lost as a goose, they want to feel comfortable in church and feel like, well, they've done something that God will accept them (laughs) instead of preaching God's Word. And that's the pressure. That's even where we live. We live. That's the pressure. And see, here's what I think. We have a generation coming up who need to hear what God says in His Word. We need to hear it, and they need to hear it. And the Word of God has not changed. It has not been compromised. The Word of God is just as true today as it has always been. God is a God of grace and mercy, but God also is a God of justice. And He hates sin. He hates sin for what it is, and He hates sins for what it does to us. And so I just, you know, so you, 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 you need to pray for preachers and teachers these days because we, we need to stay strong. And we need to preach God's Word. But we need to do it with compassion and mercy, you know. When you preach on hell, you shouldn't relish the fact that people are going to hell, should you? <laughs> you should have compassion. And so you want to communicate in, in, with compassion and grace and mercy, but you got to tell the truth. Amen? Y'all agree with that or not? You agree? Okay. All right. So anyway, I don't know how I got on that, but that was free. I'm not going to charge you anything extra. For that part. Okay. Others, the Roman soldiers. You know, the Romans were caught up in idolatry. And so they didn't. They, didn't, they hated the Jews. They didn't, you know, they didn't worship the God of the Jews. They worshiped their own gods. And they were, they were consumed with money and possessions and power and immorality and, and all of that stuff. And so they miss Christmas. And people today miss it for that reason. And the people of Nazareth... You know, here's how they traveled in that day. If you were going to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Bethlehem or to Jerusalem, you wouldn't just walk out by yourself because there there was no police force and there was no protection. So what you would do is you would travel in groups. And so, you know, in Nazareth, here's what happened. Everybody who was going to Jerusalem or Bethlehem got together. And they traveled as a group. That's when Jesus was 12 and he was left behind. Mary and Joseph assumed he was in the group. And they didn't realize until later on that he wasn't with the group. But here's the picture Mary and Joseph, they didn't travel with the group, they went by themselves. And Joseph, and Mary's just this girl, this young girl, and she's pregnant. And, and I just, you know, when I think about it, here's a 16-year-old girl, and I don't know how Joseph, how old Joseph was. He probably wasn't much older than that. And they've had all of this experience, you know, with the angel and with the virgin uh, conception and, and all of this. And... God didn't give them a playbook to say, okay, this is what you do next. <laughs> They're doing the best they, are, they can. They know the baby's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so God arranged for Caesar Augustus to call for a tax. I mean, the most powerful man in the world doing the bidding of God, the God of the universe to arrange it so that they would be in Bethlehem for the birth of the Messiah. Seriously, I mean... the You know, the whole ruler of the ancient world. God is using him. And so they travel. And I don't know. She may have rode the donkey. I've never been pregnant. I don't want to be from what I've observed. But I don't know. What would be better, walking or riding on a donkey? I mean, seriously. And it was 78, 79 miles from Nazareth to Galilee. Maybe they went through Samaria. Maybe they took the shortcut and didn't follow the usual route around Samaria. I don't know. And then they get to Bethlehem and Joseph, he's, he's exhausted and poor old Mary. She just says, let me just sit over here in the corner. <laughs> I'll sit over here by the well. You go find us a place, right? I mean, you know, these were human beings and this was a human situation. But God was in it. God took care of them. Oh, and then Jesus was born. Jesus was born. Jesus was born. A little baby. And she took him and she... When she kissed the face of her child, she kissed the face of God. (laughs) Seriously? Seriously? And she rubbed that baby and loved that baby. Wiped him off, wrapped him up, laid him there. And Joseph, he's a complete psychological and emotional wreck. <laughs> he does She done had this baby. He's I can't take it anymore. <laughs> you know, and he's sitting over there in the corner. And this baby's there. And they all fall asleep. And then them old wild rascal shepherds come barging in at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Can you See, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. Isn't that wonderful? That's our God at work bringing our Savior into the world. Don't you just love Jesus? Don't you just love Jesus?